We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I am Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. He's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. Hello and welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we review, analyze, discuss, and celebrate the movie Back to the Future Part 3, one steam oozing minute at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez and the news. I'm Scott Corelli and joining us today for our second day of All-Star Week, Jim O'Kane from Rocketeer Minute. Welcome, Jim. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. This is one of my favorite movies and it's easy to talk about movies you love, isn't it? Oh it yeah, really definitely. <laughs> um, so uh, so yeah, Jim. I, I knew that um, going into this into this uh, this movie, I couldn't wait to get to the train stuff and get you on because I just had a feeling. Uh, <laughs> I like you choose a train guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, lo- I love trains. I I grew up in the I grew up in a part of New Jersey. That was, the town that I lived in, Elizabeth, New Jersey, was crossed by six railroads. Uh, by the time they left, Conrail had kind of uh, narrowed them down to about two. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I grew up around trains all my life. I had model railroads. I still have model railroads. Um, and this particular train, the number three, uh, Sierra number three, is, uh, is one of my favorites. I love 10-wheelers. And I'm sure you've talked about locomotives before on many minutes but uh the the 460 is one of my favorite configurations it's a really it's a good solid machine i love steam engines because um they're very mechanical and very easy to understand i mean you've got the firebox in the back you get the boiler in the front and the boil the pressure of the boiler steam pushes the piston that's in front of it and it moves the drive uh the, the, the drive bar and turns the wheel so you can see how it all works Mm-hmm. And uh, and Emmett Brown is using that. Well, yeah, I mean, he did that in the, with the Super Exposition series, <laughs> explaining <laughs> how, how they were going to uh, pick up the speed by uh, by doing uh, by changing the stuff that was going in the firebox. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just and and just seeing this this one scene, this one minute. We've got thirty nine cuts in, in this in this one minute, and uh, mm-hmm. they they average about one and a half seconds a cut. So you're getting a lot of dynamic action with you know with a great looking machine. All that beautiful sound. I mean, it's just, it's walls of sound moving around left and right. Uh, by the way, the, the transfer that we're looking at is excellent. I mean, the color's great. The sound's great. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm sorry, I've got, I've got a million things I want to talk about with this minute. And it's just, I'm Please. trying to cram it, cram it all in this for a second. Yeah. But, uh, well, let's, uh, let's talk about, um, I guess we, we should say that, <laughs> that we are uh, going back to minute 97 today, uh, which starts with Marty saying, perfect. Uh, and ends with uh, Clara saying, golly. Uh, uh, <laughs> Interjections. Yeah. yeah, and there's, uh, there's a lot going on between perfect and golly. Yes. Perfect and um, golly, indeed. Yeah. 
I, you know, it's funny what you say about the editing, because one of the things that we talk about uh, with these uh, with these movies that we've been talking about now for three movies um, is that Zemeckis, uh, he knows how to use editing to his advantage because he waits for the movie to earn the edits. Uh, you know, largely he's a guy who is completely comfortable with just setting up a camera and letting the scene play out in the frame um, without a lot of cuts. He does, he doesn't necessarily need over the shoulder shots. He doesn't have to cut between characters a lot, but then when you get into these action scenes, suddenly he's an edit machine and it's, and it's all about, you know, amping up the pacing and, and it just becomes this orchestrated, you know, beautiful piece of music uh essentially and that's to say nothing about the beautiful piece of music that's playing over this oh yeah um, yeah sylvester is, is really on top of his game on this piece oh yeah yeah and it's and so you know it's just he, he he just he earns these editing moments to the point where you know it it just feels like it just feels so natural and you wouldn't think that it would because it is you know so much you know in juxtaposition to uh, the rest of the movie, which is, is, you know, very, uh, limited on cuts. Um, but it just, he earns it so well cause he builds up to it and they just get faster and faster, uh, as the scene progresses. And, and this is a long sequence. It's uh it ends up being a, a three week long sequence, this train sequence. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. From, from the point where, uh, you know, Marty and, and doc are going after the train, uh, to the to the point that the train crashes, it's three weeks and three days. I think um, it's a long sequence, but you don't feel it. Uh, you know, unlike you know, like the pod racing sequence in Phantom Menace, which was only two weeks. This is longer and it feels shorter. Yeah, there, there's yeah. only there, there's only a, a few cues that there are clues in the back, and just a couple of short scenes where it goes from a, pl- a clear blue sky to like a semi overcast. Uh, sky and a couple of them but that, that's about the only hint that this is something that took a lot longer than what you're seeing in real time um i yeah. I, I think you really have to not, not only um uh, relying on bob gale but his uh his editor here is um is editors is, yeah yeah arthur schmidt who did i mean he started in uh things like jaws too so he's he's long a member of the spielberg family mm-hmm. and he he's used to that spielberg idea i mean Gail relies, Zemeckis relies on a lot of uh, that 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 classic uh, Spielberg push in looking at somebody's face. Um, mm-hmm. What my what my dad used to call an eyeball movie, just like focus on somebody's eyeballs and slowly move toward them. And and a lot of the scenes in this, when they're realizing something, you just see the see that slow push in. But uh, Schmidt has uh, has honed this. You see it in uh, other movies that he's edited. He's edited uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He's edited you know, all the Back to the Future ones. He's done that. Um, and my, the only, the movie that's close to my heart, he he did it also in The Rocketeer. So uh, that's, ah, a, that's okay. a little crossover there that they, they both, they, you know, he understands when the timing, the pace has to pick up and the way you pick it up is by uh, making a lot of dynamic shots tight together. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, it, it, and it is impressive. I mean, it really drags you in and combine that, you know, the, the, the images that you're seeing with the, the music picking up the pace and also picking up that, the sound of the, uh, the, the strokes of the, of the piston of, of the locomotive, it really gets, gets your blood going while you're watching this thing. Oh yeah. And, and that's to say nothing about how Gail structured this in the script of just, 
you know, the, he has a really good eye for throwing a wrench into these in into into these action sequences. Like every time something starts to go right, he throws another wrench and 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 breaks it again. Yeah, it's sort yeah. of that classic you know that that Steven Spielberg later adopted by JJ Abrams style of like you can't solve a problem without introducing a new problem. Uh-huh. Right. And I I love that's just pure popcorn like the you, like you know because you want Doc to get to Marty just a little bit less than you want Clara to get to Doc. Uh-huh. And it's just you can't have one without the other. I just I love it's such good design. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're you're not sure what you're rooting for. It it's just kind yeah. of yeah, that's great. Just hope, hopefully nobody falls off. That's the first I- impulse. Yeah. But then you're like, <laughs> right? What's you know, Cl- Clara is doomed to go over that cliff eventually. <laughs> so it, it's uh, yeah, it is it is a concern, and and since you already know that that's already been put ahead of it, um, instead of dying on a horse, she'll die on a, a locomotive. So that that's that's put in the back of your head that yeah, she could easily yeah. you know, continue the the timeline there. If anything, yeah. like time wants her to die. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like, it's like Final Destination. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, just the idea that you know, in the last minute, we had Clara d- desperately chasing after this train, and she's in here. She's reaching for the train, reaching, and then finally grabs it. And just as she grabs oh, it, oh my god, we hit seven hundred and fifty degrees on Woo! the Presto log. It burns the it burns the chemicals off, and then. They just get that burst of speed. And it's just, I, I just, I, wanna, I love the way that that's all, it's just perfectly timed and perfectly laid out. I want a uh, gif of that so bad of just Clara getting yanked forward on the train. Yeah. <laughs> it's obviously not a human. Right. But it just uh, looks, it's, it looks amazing. It's so mm-hmm. much olive oil in Popeye. I mean, when I, when I see this, I keep thinking oh, yeah. she could have played olive oil so easily. It, all that stretchy. And, you know, she's she's actually perpendicular to yeah. the, and, the gravity. She's like at a perfect right angle hanging on. Conversely. You know, at, I mean, when yeah. have you ever been in something that's accelerated to 35 miles an hour where you would be pushed that far off of, uh, of plumb? <laughs> right. Although I would, I would also say I as I love... You, listeners you guys know by now how i know about mary steenburgen and it's almost creepy but i would be really interested to see a shelly duvall clara clayton hmm i yeah, i mean i think i think i'm one of the rare pure, i love shelly duvall and i'll 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 i love did you, I love did you even love popeye she- shelly duvall i especially love popeye shelly okay. duvall mm-hmm. uh i love I mean, he needs me are you kidding me that's a uh, yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i yeah, i could i could see it i i could definitely see it uh but uh yeah i mean i'm i'm all about obviously i'm all about very steam virgin yeah yeah I'm, I'm 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 at the uh time after time mary steam virgin level of of enjoyment i mean this she's oh yeah she's finally going back to her roots on this thing and uh right <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, she might as well go, you know, it, it, she's always falling in love with time travelers. So it's just, you know, yeah, that would be really cool if to, to get her back for like another time travel story. Now, that would be really cool. Uh-huh. It would be. Yeah. Complete the uh, the Mary Steenburgen and time travel uh, trilogy. trilogy she, yes. Actually, yeah. she could have been really she could have played. I love that cast, but she could have played a couple of parts in uh, in a wrinkle in time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Theoretically, sure. The David um, so so uh, when they hit 35 miles per hour after the uh, the Presto log uh, explodes, um, Doc decides like, okay, so we've hit 35 miles per hour. Now I'm going to start making my way across the train. And I love the small detail. And I mean, granted... It's not like he could keep the hat on because it would it would go flying in the in the wind. But uh, I I like that he takes the hat off because I like, I don't know if he's hoping that the engineer that he stole it from is gonna like <laughs> find his hat in the wreckage later. Uh, but I but I do because you know we talked about how how much of a weird element that is that he. He he didn't just take the train. He also stole the hat off the engineer's head. Yeah, it, it's it's almost kind of like all right, I've had my fun. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, it's a really it's a really fun detail. Well, and he also dresses for the occasion. He's no longer the engineer, so he doesn't need the hat. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then you know all, we've talked about all of these things. You know the the editing and the music and the uh, just everything that's going on in this. But um, one thing that I don't think this scene gets enough credit for is uh, the the sound design because the sound design and the sound editing because that that bit where Clara is shouting for Emmett and he can't hear her but like you can kind of hear her oh, but like so you good. could also sort of dismiss it as just like some weird noise the train's making or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's like a really well constructed sound design in that moment. And actually it reminds me of, um, and this is a weird thing to remind me of, but uh, I I think Jim will get a kick out of this. There's a scene in um, a recent Batman comic of all things Mm. where Batman is it's, it's during the Scott Snyder run that just recently wrapped up like last year. And uh, Batman is fighting a guy on the side of a plane and while they're fighting, they're having like a philosophical conversation with like monologues and stuff. And someone pointed out to the writer, I know this is a comic book and there's no sound in a comic book, but if this was actually happening, they wouldn't hear anything that each other were saying. I said, I reject Hegelianism. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And and so th- this just reminded me of that scene because I thought that was the funniest thing uh, in that Batman comic because that writer is a really smart guy, but he just wasn't thinking in terms of like sound. Uh, and uh, and here, you know, this sound design is done really well because it's just enough that he hears something but can't clearly make out what it is. And it, it's just it's a really well done thing. And I think that all... Uh, falls on the uh, the sound designers, whether that was the the editor or the I don't know who, whoever was in charge of that mix yeah, was really it's, good. It's something that bothers me earlier in this a, a, a technical issue, and I shouldn't be thinking about this because we're not well. We are watching this one minute at a time, so we can do this. Sure. But, um, I'm bothered by the uh, telemetry that um, Marty McFly is getting in the DeLorean, namely the. Uh, the thermometer that he has uh, in his hand, the large, it, it looks like a steam-based, thermo- you know, very punk, <laughs> steampunk look to uh, that that thermometer, mm-hmm. which is measuring the uh, smoke box temperature. How is it connected to the locomotive? What is the drive? I mean, it looks like it's some kind of a vacuum uh, meter. It's a vacuum gauge, so it's being done by air pressure. How is that connected to the locomotive, some, you know, uh, in the smoke box, which is some 30 to 40 feet behind him? 
Um, I'm not, I'm not sure, uh, technically speaking. I know that Doc in the last minute mentioned it, mentioned it, its existence, uh, and saying that he set it up. And, but it was one of those things they just sort of swept under the rug by having Doc being like, I, I, I have a gauge, you know, in the, on the dash that's connected to the train. And like, that's all he said. Yes. It's, it's the um, MacGuffin needle that, yeah, I understand. But right. it, it just, to me, it was like, why wouldn't he uh, be checking uh, uh, head pressure on the boiler? Because that would be determining what the, uh, uh, you know, what, what's, what's happening. And, and there wouldn't be that much of a, a lag between that and the stages that he was doing. But I guess if they're doing it with temperature, that's, that's where they're going to go. And it, it, it all, ma- it all makes sense when you're watching it at full speed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I, and I think that it's also um, one of those things where you, you want to present a very simple, simplistic version of of uh train engineering um you know for for uh modern audiences they modern audiences i mean they they understand you know a gauge with temperature they're like oh i know what temperature is okay yeah yeah i I can keep track of pressure i watch shining town station i believe i know enough (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) why would we go lie to me uh the the th- uh, I mean, I do. There's there's so many pieces that you know the, the holdovers from um, from Back to the Future Two and stuff um, from the very first second of this of this film where we're looking at the mic- the uh, walkie talkies and having the old six volt or the nine volt lantern batteries because they didn't have the square nine volts until the following year. They hadn't been developed yet, so they had to use a 1955 version rather than a 1956 version of the same battery. I mean, there's little things like that that I I love about the whole the whole series. But uh, that that they carry it through in the movie and and keep it honest. That's that's a nice thing. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, because we mentioned in the last minute that it looks like they're talking into coke cans. Yeah, uh, and and yeah, it's that's that's great. I I love that um, that detail. Uh, what so so what what other thoughts do you have about uh, the Back to the Future series, Jim? Because unfortunately, we haven't we've never had you on before now. So oh, okay, well, <laughs> I want to I want to get some overall thoughts on on just Back to the Future in general from you, if we could. Um, I my uh, I have a cousin who uh, worked for Mr. Wasserman as a social secretary, and I used to go to Universal Studios back in 1979, 80, and around there. So it was it when I first saw. Back to the Future and seeing uh, the Courthouse Square and all that, it was great seeing it because I I'd, I'd known it from so many other movies and and seeing it again in here it was just this classic you know it's like oh good these people know movies because they're using the the Universal set you know there's a that's Bye Bye Birdie and all that and um it, you know and, and seeing it again there and and knowing where it was taking place on the Universal lot that that helped me a lot my uh I mean the funny thing is that my friend uh, my co-host Mark from the airport minute he lives in uh, he lives in Studio City up the hill from Universal Studios so you can see the you know the courthouse square uh, property from his from his backyard it's it's, it's interesting to or although now it's kind of getting disappeared with all the Harry Potter stuff they're building around the outside of the place <laughs> um, but yeah I mean I, I I enjoyed I enjoyed the original back to the future I uh, um I, I enjoyed, you know, it, the more you watch, this thing has a lot of great special features on all the DVDs and the Blu-rays and stuff like that. So there's a lot of background that you can get. I mean, it, it's not quite movies by minutes, but it it gives you a lot of background while you're watching. You go, okay, I'll have to watch for this. I'll have to see, um, you know, the parts that they shot around Eric Stoltz. I have to see the parts where, they're, you know, they're shooting different things, different characters that are in it that, that appear in the background. And, you know, you mm-hmm. see 
re- recurring characters like uh, like Charles Fleischer. You see him in the you know in this, and you go, oh wait, he's he's in another Spielberg movie. So there's like a lot, of, you know, all that kind of stuff. I enjoy that part because there's a lot of there's a lot of movie history wrapped up in this. And then you know, and just uh, just a couple of minutes ago, you had people like uh, you know like Dub Taylor, all the all the guys that you saw on uh, on Green Acres that were uh, mm-hmm. secondary TV characters. They're in this show, and you're like, these guys were really in westerns, and now here they are again. And and we've got. Um, We've got, you know, number the, the Sierra number three, which is always in the opening of the old Petticoat Junction show and High Noon and all that. And it's like, mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, it hasn't been a wood burning machine for hundreds, more than a hundred mm-hmm. years, but they still stack wood in the back because that's what people expect to see in a locomotive like that. So yeah. mm-hmm. uh, all that Hollywood stuff really, it makes me feel good. It, it, this is a real, uh, a movie movie that you can just say, you know, this, this is Hollywood at its best. It's, it, there's so many uh, setups and payoffs that, you know, it, it, and, and it's still frustrating, even though, you know, this is a setup and this is going to be a payoff. Um, Bob Gale really knows, really knows how to set up a movie and, uh, and, and Zemeckis really knows how to, how to make a movie work. So, um, you know, and here we are at the culmination of it all. And it's, it's just as satisfying as the first movie. You know, you think, any movie with the number three after, I mean, I think of something like Iron Man three, I, you know, you watch that movie, you're like, why did I sit through all of this? But this one, it's a third movie and it's still entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, po- and possibly just as entertaining as the first movie. So I, you know, that, those are all the parts that I, I enjoy about this thing. There's, you know, there's, there's tiny little technical details and you watch this, uh, you know, second 46 and 47. I think there's, there's that overlay of the green smoke when the green thing hits, um, uh-huh. the perspectives off the dispersion, the evolution of it, the contrails all wrong, but that, that was, you know, what, what was 1980s, 1990s, um, optical printing nowadays right. you would use the, uh, you would use a CGI particulate system and it would have, you know, they would have mapped out a big grid behind it, knowing which way in 3d it would blow. Actually the whole movie would probably filmed in 3d, so it wouldn't matter, but you would, <laughs> you'd actually see the real, you know, you'd see a more realistic smoke, but it's only a one second thing and we're used to that kind of a convention. So it doesn't, it doesn't really bother you unless you're watching it. Frame it kind of, it kind of, it feels almost like a Ghostbusters effect. Just that shade of green. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a gozer thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah. Um, we talk a lot about how, uh, this movie and, and, and movies actually we, we compare, um, we've often compared back to the future to, uh, actually captain the first captain america movie in that there's there's an obvious love of sort of like old hollywood movie magic um in the making of uh, of those movies of just you know using backlots and not like you know making a movie and not being afraid to let it look like a movie and yeah. not and not like you're trying to recreate reality or something um, there, there's something really romantic about a movie that uses backlots and, and sound stages and things. Uh, yeah. and, yeah. and, and, and not I love a lot, that. I mean, there is CGI in this movie, but not a lot. Sure. And, you know, just only where it's necessary and it doesn't get in the way of the story. You don't, I mean, it, it is thrilling to see the, the DeLorean go out hot and come in cold and all that jazz, but <laughs> it really, it, unless it's there to, um, to support the structure of the story. It doesn't need to be there. And it isn't there. You know, there's, there's very few things uh, in this movie. I think the maybe the, uh, 
well, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but the ending of this movie is a little bit over the top, but then so was the first movie and the second movie. So, um, <laughs> just, but that's just an effect that people wanted to go out with a bang and, you know, you get up and you clap and, and head for the door mm-hmm. um, and, and go tell your friends. I mean, that's, that's what this whole thing is about. So, um, but you know, generally it's a movie that you, you can watch again and again. Rewatchability is always a great thing about any movie that if you can sit down and say, I could watch this movie again. This is one of those films. Mm-hmm. And, and you're seeing all these people at the top of their game. I mean, Michael J. Fox, gosh, this is, you know, you will always think of Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly. That's, mm-hmm. that's the way it is. And, um, I think Doc Brown buried Jim Mignotowski, but you still think of Jim Mignotowski when you see Christopher Lloyd in this. Um, even when he's a Klingon, you're still thinking, yeah, Doc Brown. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, and, and it's just enjoyable. Tom, uh, Tom Wilson in this movie, uh, it may have, it may have wrecked his career as anything else, but he was, I, I don't know if, I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, there's another time travel TV show that was called, um, uh, do over. And that was oh, on the, I've uh, never even heard of that. Oh, okay. Now's your chance to go on YouTube. The, uh, there's a show called uh, do over. It was on the WB network, I believe before it was CW and, uh, uh, Page, Paget, I uh, can't remember. He was in Paget um, Brewster. Paget Brewster, that's the guy. No, no, no. Oh, okay, no. Uh, something Paget. I can't, uh, now I'll have to look it up. Uh, the um, anyway, let me let me just tell the story. The main character, who in adult life in the present is played by Tom Everett Scott from that thing you do, the drummer from that thing you do. Uh huh. He uh, his dad is his dad had a heart attack, and so he goes over to visit his dad. And his sister is a drug addict and his friend is a ambulance chasing lawyer. And his sister, it, they're standing outside of his, of their, of their uh, family home. And uh, the sister's playing around with the paddles on a CPR thing. And she sticks it on Tom Everett Scott's head and she says, clear and hits the button. And he goes, he gets knocked out. And all of a sudden he's 13 year old Tom Everett Scott. And he's getting <laughs> slapped in the face by his coach who's played by uh, Tom Wilson. <laughs> oh. And he's back in 1981 and he has to like relive his, uh, his high school years. And a lot of the character, a lot of the, the uh, cast of freaks and geeks turns up in, um, in supporting roles in this, in the show. It only lasted about, I don't know, eight or 10 episodes. But if you watch the, if you watch the show, it has some great ideas about how would you relive your life if you got, you know, sent back to like freshman in high school, what would you do? And, right. and you, and you knew things about like what was going to happen in the future. Like, and, and apparently his mom was a genius, but his dad ignored all the things that his mom had come up with ideas. She had come up with ideas like, um, uh, Facebook and th- before there was an internet, she goes, you know, if we had something where you could just like leave messages for stuff on, on, on people's computers and they could look back and he's like, yeah, that's like a Facebook. She goes, yes, Facebook. That's a great name. And, and then her, her <laughs> dad just like, goes away from, it. but yeah, I would suggest everybody listening, go to YouTube, look for, uh, the show do over, uh, season one, episode one. And, uh, it's, it's out there. Just watch the first episode and it, It'll first it'll catch your interest, and then you'll realize that it's a limited series and and got canceled, and you won't get to see the ending of it. So it's kind yeah. of depressing. Yeah, it looks like it was a sitcom of all things, which yeah. is really crazy. Um, that's a that's a high concept sitcom. Uh, <laughs> it was it was very funny, and I think I was the only one that watched it. And the yeah. theme the theme of, the, of it was written by the Go Go's. So um, oh wow, uh, okay. it, it was really they 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 spent a lot of yeah. Penn Badgley was the guy. 
And, oh, okay, you were combining oh, his name. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, awesome girl. Uh, Gigi Rice is in it too. She plays the mom, a hilarious actress. Um, and uh, actually, to, to cross this over with uh, the Rocketeer, uh, his dad was played by Michael Malone, who is uh, uh, he's Mitch, Mr. Ketchup Bottle in uh, the Rocketeer. If you've seen the movie, Rocketeer. Oh, he's okay. One, one of the gangster guys. Well, uh, well, tell people at home about uh, Rocketeer Minute. I mean, you guys, uh, you guys just started about a month ago, I think, at this point. That's right. Yeah, yeah, we're yes. we're we're about a month in, and uh, we have some very interesting guests coming up. So please uh, check in. I, I don't want to. We, we haven't confirmed on all of them, but we have some major cast members uh, mm-hmm. from from the 1991 Joe Johnston directed movie, uh, The Rocketeer. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Howard Hughes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Played by John Locke from Lost. So it's, yeah. <laughs> You get Terry O'Quinn in character as Howard Hughes. Oh, God, <laughs> incredible! I remind you, gentlemen. <laughs> just, yeah. so, Hello. Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But yeah, we've got a lot of a lot of folks coming in who worked on both sides of the camera there, and uh, so yeah, ch- check us out. Uh, we talk way too much. Well, I think everybody else does. We talk way too much about the movie that we're interested in. And uh, my my partner on on the show, my co-host uh, Hal Bryan, he's uh, head of uh, uh, he's a, he's a senior editor for the Experimental Aircraft Association, and he's actually flown everything from B-17s to the I'm not kidding the Goodyear Blimp. He's actually flown the Goodyear Blimp. Wow! And, uh, he knows everything there is to know about aviation. So I just mostly sit there and go, uh huh, really? Wow! You know, so he's uh he's really good at this, and uh, and he has a lot of friends who happen to be stunt pilots who are on this movie. So we have a couple of stunt pilots coming in. Oh, that's so cool. And uh, yeah, it's just really neat. I, 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 I have a hard time, like, you know, it's like, okay, we have to stop. We've been an hour. Everybody that's listening to this, we've run down their batteries on their, you know, iPhones or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah. but uh, it, it's great. And uh, yeah, so check us out, uh, rocketeerminute.com, also available on iTunes and uh, Google Play. Yeah. Yeah. So go check that out. It's a, it's a phenomenal show. Uh, and uh, I think, I think uh, if you've ever seen the Rocketeer, uh, I think you'll love it. And if you've never seen The Rocketeer, uh, watch The Rocketeer. What are you doing? And then listen to the podcast because you're going to love it. Yeah. yeah. Get get out five bucks. Go to a Target. <laughs> yeah, right. it's, it's, it's the cutout bin. Don't worry. Yeah. It'll be there. And if you, if you get the Disney Channel, it's probably on every other Thursday. So just, you know, check your local listings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, all right. Well, Jim, thanks so much for being on. And, thanks, uh, yeah, and so we will be back uh, tomorrow to talk about uh, Minute 98. Uh, in the meantime, uh, we are nearing the end of the show, so you know we're going to need uh, emails from you guys uh, as, we, as we make our way through the credits and things like we do every season. So if you want to email the show, you should do that contact at backtothefutureminute.com, and uh, we will read uh, and slash answer questions or whatever uh with your emails uh on those episodes so uh get those get those emails in and uh we will talk to you tomorrow with minute 98 bye everybody